And uh, hopefully everybody has an outline. It should say, Living from God's Loving Heart. I like that title. I think that's how we live. Uh, we live from God's heart. I think that maybe some of us are born nice. <laughs> most of us aren't born so nice. And most of us need quite a bit of help to be nice, right? And um, when you get saved, when you come to know Jesus, the Spirit of God comes and He, he does something in us. Uh, is so remarkable. He causes us to be loving. He, he he literally creates a new heart in us, and it's supernatural and it's amazing. Sometimes when you you know I've watched people get uh, come to Jesus and finally decide to give them their heart, and you know within a year they're just completely different people. They they were in one place, and I'm looking at a few of you right now, just even recently that had occasion to meet the Lord in a real way, and how the Lord's changing you. And if you're still feeling a little off and uh, just, you know, kind of imbalanced and whatever, and you came that way, don't worry. Just give God a few more months to heal your heart, because He heals from the inside and He heals from the outside. And let me just say, I could say to be healed, your, your heart, I could just say it so easily, but it's a very supernatural thing uh, to be healed of depression, heaviness, uh, sorrow, worry, uh, fear. Uh, it's a big deal. And God has to do that sometimes supernaturally with us. That's why if you look at your outline, it should say living from God's loving heart. Uh, it doesn't say that you got the wrong outline, but anyway. And I love this verse so much, Psalm 51.10, right at the top. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. So God is an expert at working on your insides. He creates in you a new heart and gives you a steadfast spirit. In other words, a loyal heart, a uh, a loyal heart to stay with the Lord, a loyal heart for other people. He creates something inside of you. He works from the inside out really, really well, right? That's what the gospel is really all about. And I want to just talk about God's loving heart. Um, I think uh, I think people uh, all over, you know, Christianity would say God loves them. But one thing I've found through the years is that most of us really don't believe that deep on the inside of us. Or we struggle with it sometimes, especially when we go through hard times. So he's out there, and we know that Jesus shed his blood for our sins, and we know that there was something sacrificial that happened, and that, that God loves us to do that. But sometimes it doesn't really connect on the inside of us, um, that God really does love us. As a matter of fact, I've watched Christians for years, and myself included for a long time, I, I, I wanted to obey God, I wanted, I, and I knew God, you know, and I knew it was right to follow Him. But my heart <clears throat> remained a little bit detached from Him. And it was a little frustrating, you know, until I washed up on the shores of the vineyard and uh, found a bunch of crazy people who actually had been so messed up and so confused and so drug addicted and whatever in their lives, and they just needed God's love to work on them from the inside out. And so I fell on with them, and I thought, man, I fit really well here. And then I had an encounter with the love of God on a level I've never had experienced before. And it totally undid me. It totally redid my emotions, uh, reestablished me in the Lord in a way I couldn't imagine, and has established the voice of God in my heart in a way that I can hear His voice in a way I never could have imagined. I used to work pretty hard hearing God's voice, read the Bible through and through until love came. And when love came, uh, it got kind of easy, right? Because what God wants to do is have an experience of compassion and love. He wants to give his, his loving heart to you. And when he does it, there's all these sort of uh, side benefits. 
and uh, all kinds of things, everything from increased peace to just hearing God's voice to actually beginning to genuinely, really love other people, not just because they're supposed to, but because you want to. And you always know you're getting touched by God's love when He touches your I want to button instead of your I su I'm supposed to button, right? Even for rascally difficult people, whoever they be may be, whether they're husbands or wives or whether they're friends or neighbors or people that aren't acting like you think they should act, right? And then when you're not acting like you should act, even solving that problem as well. So if you look on your outline, I have a, everybody should have one that says living from God's loving heart. And so creating a pure heart is something that God does. He psalmist is saying, God, please have mercy on me. I, I need a new heart. Obviously, I need a change here, you know, and it's a little bit outside my grasp. Well, when you receive Jesus by faith, God gives you a new, fully alive heart, a heart now created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's Ephesians 2.10. I like that. Man, I, I love those verses a lot. Matter of fact, I'll just read these verses, Ephesians 2.8-10. For it's by grace you've been saved through faith, and so we trust God. We, we decide to receive Him into our life, into our heart. We ask Him to come in at this point of weakness, and it's not too fancy. There's not a band playing. You just, you know, there's not the you know, whistles and sounds. It's just, you come to a place quite the opposite, actually. Most of us just come kind of in this humble place and say, Lord, I, I just need to be saved. I, I need you to reveal yourself to me. I, I need you in my life. And so, look, interesting there. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. But then, look what it says. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. So, you thought it was you opening up, but God was actually giving you a gift, the ability to open up, the ability to receive this that He has for you. Isn't that interesting? That's why the Scripture says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anybody will open the door, I'll come in. There's lots of knocking going on <laughs> in the world. Maybe it took you a few years of knocking, maybe pounding even, <laughs> before you opened the door, right? Here, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the remarkable thing is, we find that uh, by grace we're saved, that something happens on the inside of us. We begin to do these works, right? Things that we used to do, not do, we begin to do, but... We are created on the inside. God reworks our inside so that even the works that He had in mind for us, we can do. And this is initiated by God, responded to by us, and then finished by God. <laughs> We're kind of in the divine sandwich there, you know. That's how, how it works. And, um, and so I like this. We're God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Because you can only get a certain distance with regard to good works, you know, and being good. But... When God gets on side of you, all of a sudden there's this outstanding movement outward, compassion for other people. And when He touches you with love, you begin to be loving. And that's really the central issue with regard to fulfilling the commands of Jesus, is feeling a touch on the inside of you that begins to work its way to the outside of you, to other people. Matter of fact, if you look on A there on your outline, Ezekiel, uh, the prophet Ezekiel makes this promise for God's people. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your, you your heart of stone, and I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees. What a remarkable passage. 
See, that's the whole essence of Christianity. But what people leave out is the supernaturalness of the encounter. When God says, I will give you a new heart, that's not just an intellectual thing. It's pretty profound, actually. And then God doesn't stop giving you a new heart because sometimes we get hard. We get hard-hearted, right? Even with our own family, our own life or whatever. So God's promise is, this is his agenda. What God's doing through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit that's given us at salvation, he's always giving you a new heart, putting a new spirit in you. I mean, the Spirit's in you, but he's always reviving you. I will remove from your heart of stone, you, from you your heart of stone. I'll put my spirit in you to, and move you to follow my decree. So even our obedience to the Lord, the Lord is working from the inside out. And so it's so important to understand that living from God's loving heart is to live from the inside out, right? Which requires an internal walk with God. God's always done things like that. He's always worked from the inside out. He's sneaky that way. That way he can get at every tribe, tongue, and nation. Every, from the highest leader to the one that's in the swamp, you know, the one that's maybe in a slum somewhere. He gets them all by working from the inside out. The one that's in a horrible situation, he builds their faith. The one that's in a high situation that needs to be humbled a little bit, he gets their heart and humbles them, right? Not just by circumstance, but one of the greatest humbling effects I've ever felt in my life is the love of God. It will humble you like nothing else. You would think it would be something else, like, you know, discipline you for bad behavior. Da, da, da. Yeah, we all get in those places, but you can still be pretty arrogant in that space, right? But love crushes you. Supernatural love, a better way to say it is it melts you. He melts you, right? And so then you're created then to do good works out of that melting place that only the Spirit brings. You begin to do these works, right? You, you become alive with love. That's be there. Experiencing and becoming aware of mercy and eternal kindness. I, w- I want to just read from Ephesians 2, uh, 4 to 7 again. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It has been by grace you've been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. In order that the upcoming ages or the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of the grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus I, I love those words so much for as by grace you've been saved through faith and it's not from yourself it's a gift of God not by works that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do so Our response is to give our lives to Jesus in faith and walk in the good works God prepared in advance for us to do. But that comes out of experiencing in some real way God's mercy and compassion. I would say supernaturally real way. And uh, I've just been amazed at how profound this is uh, in my life. You know, everybody knows that when you come to Jesus, there's a sort of weakness that you come in. Very few people come in strong, right? We've been humble. We think, well, may I'll give Jesus a chance. But it just gets deeper and bigger and broader. That love that you've experienced, that, that, that uh, sense of uh, needing God and that sense of his mighty compassion is something that we were all designed to live in and God wants to live through us that way. It's supernatural, it's real, and it's powerful. It is, in short, living from God's loving heart, right? 
So the whole essence, essence of Christianity, this is Roman numeral two, is choosing to live from the new you, from the real you, right? What God intended for you to be. That's the real you, by the way. What God intended you to be is the real you. Not what you have a fantasy about being, not a, what somebody else told you you should be. But I think really the essence of life is hearing from God, who are you? And then you do that thing. Because you were created for different things. Lions, for example, in the animal kingdom, they do one thing, you know. Little poodles do another thing, right? <laughs> Swans do another thing. They all have their purpose. Well, in the human kingdom, we all have our purposes. We all have ways that we shine. They're all, there's always things that we were bought for, right? And so choosing to live from the new you, the one that is really the real you, that God intended for all of us to be, is really the key to life, right? And when I receive Jesus, my heart delights in God, but I'm aware of my sinful nature. So anybody ever been through that? And so everybody's been through that. If they just been try to walk with the Lord 10 minutes, you get all excited about walking with God, you know, and then, then all of a sudden you look at the crumbling life you have or the difficulty or the bad character or whatever it is, right? So there's this war going on in the inside. Uh, there's this heart delighting in God, and there's a sinful nature that keeps reminding you of bad things, either inspiring you to do bad things or reminding you of how ugly or how broken or all the crazy stuff you did, right? And I'll tell you, I'm looking at you guys, and I know most of you. And uh, so let's just say that of all that I know of you, uh, we come from a rough place. <laughs> uh, most of us just didn't breeze into church. We, we were, God had his rescue plan, you know. And uh, for you that maybe have been recently rescued and feeling a little ashamed of where you've been and everything, believe me, everybody sitting next to you has their own story. And it's always the same. It's the story of God's love, how he got you out of this horrible place you were in, whether it was drugs or alcohol, some addiction, or whether it was just honoriness and selfishness and, and uh, meanness and, and whatever, whether it's criminal or not, you know, I mean... Part of us probably in this place could have easily spent some time in jail and didn't get caught, right? So just that's who we all are here, right? So not all of us, of course, but we all have our stuff, right? And so here's an interesting thing. If you look at Romans 7, 21 to 25, Paul knew this well. So Paul's the one that writes about all this love. It's so funny. He's the one that's hunting down Christians and persecuting them and killing them, right? And this guy gets whacked by God. Now he started writing all these beautiful romantic things. But he wasn't so romantic when he was chasing and jailing Christians all over the place. So he had a come to Jesus meeting one day. The interesting thing about that come to Jesus meeting, it was a meeting of power, the great apostle Paul. But what fascinates me is he's actually one of the great apologists for compassion. Because he realized part of his problem was he was religious and he was mean. Right? And religion uh, can be, make you one of the meanest persons in the world, Right? Religion all over the world causes some pretty horrible atrocities. He was mean, right? All in the name of God, which is even worse, right? Some of the meanest things ever done have been done in the name of religion. So he knew that when he came to Christ, he needed overhaul, right? And I'm sure he was surprised at what happened because he realized that he had had enough religion to last 10 lifetimes. But he hadn't had love. He didn't know love. He didn't know it. And when he encountered God, he began to encounter not only did he get blinded and have the supernatural experience, that was just the beginning. God apprehended him, filled him with love, and then he began to teach and explain this. 
And Paul, the terrorist, was the greatest person of anyone, hunting down Christians, killing them, presiding over their deaths, is the greatest one to understand mercy and love, right? And he became one of God's spokesmen, this hardened guy, hardened Jewish zealot, full of the Word of God, interestingly enough, knew the Bible backwards and forwards as a, you know, as a zealot, right? He, he understood all the Scriptures, right? And he was doing it in the name of God, yet he realized something huge had happened. He was worshiping a God who wasn't loving, who didn't look really like the God of the Bible, really. The rules and regulations, some of that maybe partially, but really he realized something was missing. And so when he got saved, he began to write about some things that similar to us. He began to write how amazed he was, how God works from the inside out, how God changes people, how there's an impartation that all of us can have and experience. My deepest design and desire, even from this sermon, but not just from this sermon, for your involvement in our church, even for just a little while, is that you would encounter from the inside supernaturally, I'm not going to underline supernaturally, the love of God. That inexplicable, explicable touch that caused you to live from the inside out. That space that comes in, the, the Holy Spirit that just tears down all your inhibitions in terms of the, uh, about God and all your religious ideas and just reduces you to be a loving husband, a loving wife, a loving whatever, you know, boss, a loving person in the culture. So here, look what he says. Romans 7. This is on Roman 2 of your outline. The whole essence of Christianity is choose to, choosing to live from the new you, the real you, the one that God made. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. So he had really encountered God at a very deep level, and it wasn't just then to sort of earn points and to make sure he's safe, like doing God's will for fire insurance. It was so much more than that, right? For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So in the midst of trying to be good and trying to fulfill God's demands, he finds this other thing working against him. What a wretched man I am. He's finding that he can't succeed very well in being the kind of person he wants to be. And he's discovering that he's kind of violated some of the basic things that you would need to be if you were going to be a good person. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ. Then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. So he knows there's something in him that wants to obey and wants to walk with God, but in his sinful nature it's warring against that, right? And that's really the, the, the key part of our study here because it's, it's not just that, that you know about this intellectually. Even knowing that information I just gave you isn't enough. What you need is an encounter with the supernatural love of God, and then you can write about it. <laughs> so that's what's happening here, right? <laughs> and so he writes other things that he discovers, which is a great leaf, a relief you know, to him. For example, Romans chapter 8 verses 1 to 4, there therefore is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set me free from the law of sin and death. 
For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. And what He's saying is that when He got His new insides, He began to fulfill the law of Christ. He began to naturally, or maybe we should say supernaturally, do the things of God. But even if he didn't, even if he messed up, which we all do, the righteous requirement of the law has been met through Jesus' blood on the cross. So all we have to do is go, sorry about that, and own it, and then we're forgiven and cleansed. And actually, maybe even through one of those hard things that we do and we fail, we actually come back better and more equipped to be loving because we know what other people go through and we give them the same slack that God gave us, really. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, meaning that Jesus Christ died for our sins, meaning that he made a way out for us that we could confess our sins, just agree with him. Yep, I'm a jerk. I did it. <laughs> I did it again also, right? But that because of what Jesus did for us on the cross, it's enough. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Guilt is the heaviest thing that anybody ever had to bear. Guilt about a mistake in their life, and it is so demonic to stay in a place of guilt because all kinds of demons love to come and live in that. So who the Son is set free is free indeed. First of all, the judicial thing is done. The blood of Jesus covers you, covers your sin. And all you have to say is, I did it. That's all you got to say. I did it, Lord. I'm sorry, I, I did it. And if you have to say, I did it 15 times in a row, he'll say every time, you're, you're forgiven. The blood of Jesus is that powerful. But then what's happening in the process for the Spirit is there's something else that's going on, a love that's coming. Not only are we getting rid of the condemnation for all the rule-breaking, right? But the cross covers all kinds of things in our heart. It begins to, uh, uh, we begin to live according to the power that's inside of us, right? Something that begins to come and it's love that's coming. It's, it's courage and strength and it's acceptance, right? And everybody needs to be accepted. It's amazing. The one we must be accepted of by is the one who created the universe. We may have been detached from that a little bit, but that's what you were born with. You were born to know God. And all your life without Jesus is provision for you to get to God. Who, that's why he had to come and die for us and resurrect from the dead. Without him, life doesn't make any sense. There's, because you were created to be with God. And you want God, but you can't get there, right? So Jesus had to do and make it, do what it was needed to make access. And then the Spirit of God comes and He begins to bear witness of what was what happened on the cross. And I love this. There is no condemnation for those who are Christ Jesus. The cross covers everything. For what the law was powerless to do, this is verse 3 of Romans 8, it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending His own Son the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. So now we live according to the Spirit of God, the very life of God living on the inside of us, right? So the Spirit of God living in my new heart overwhelms my old nature and even death itself. Romans 8, 9. You, are never not, you however, are not in the realm of the flesh. Well, you could have fooled me, you know. <laughs> you might have done something today that indicates that you definitely are in the realm of the flesh, right? No, wrong. That's not the real you. That's that sinful nature kicking up that you have to account, account for from time to time. 
Because the real you if, you, if you believe that's the real you, then you will be a really nasty person. <laughs> right? But believers aren't that. They may have problems and make mistakes and act like the old person, but they're always on the way to change. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's the beauty of living from God's loving heart, the new heart that He gives you. Sometimes it takes a little while for that new heart, right, to come and live. You are, however, not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. So He actually gives you the Spirit to teach you, to help you. Now you're in His realm. It doesn't make you don't make, mean to make, you don't make mistakes. It just means that He's helping you. He's always there to help you. So all you have to do is cooperate with His help, right? And if one does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So there's something unique about Christians. You have a supernatural presence on the inside of you. That's what makes you unique. Always talking about God, always changing you, always revamping you, rearranging you. Sure, convicting you of your sin, but also convicting you of something even higher. You know what that is? That God really is passionately in love with you. That's what He has to convict you of. And He has to do it supernaturally. Because once we get to know God, sometimes we don't believe that. We are aware of so many mistakes we've made. We become aware that we need to change. And so sometimes we get under that condemnation. That's why that Bible says there's, no, there's therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't do you any good. If it did some good, it would be helpful for you to be a better person. It makes you aware of sin, but no condemnation is different. It keeps hammering you and plaguing you. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised, Je Christ, raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Je Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. So He's not only giving life to your spirit, but in the day when you need to be living eternally, He gives life to that. Right? That deposit in you is so great it not only communicates love to you now, but is that part of you that it's what causes the resurrection, right? Your mortal bodies come alive because of the Spirit who lives inside of you. Though the body die, the Spirit goes on. Then you get a new body, and I'm anxious for that one. The older I get, I can't wait for my new body, right? I wonder how buff it's going to be, man. I don't know. I'm not sure how that works out. I have a feeling nobody really cares anymore. But anyway, that's my theory. Verse 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to For you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will leave, live. And in other words, there's certainly the flesh to tempt you, but the Spirit, the stronger you get in walking with the Lord, and the more you receive Him and let Him in your life, right? He helps you to say, ah, I'm not going to do that now. No, I don't think I'll respond this way this time. I don't think I'll do that anymore. So life is like one big, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm tired of that. It didn't lead to life. Also, I keep feeling the Spirit nagging me, the presence of God. And every time I do that, I lose this lovely presence of God. See, the presence of God's like not neutral. The presence of God is love. So when the love pulls away from you a little bit, when you sin, right, I don't like that feeling. So I confess real quick and get my love back. <laughs> i got to say, I think Christianity is just basically getting addicted to the love of God. That's what I think. <laughs> so the addiction starts slow sometimes, but over time it speeds up. And, and um, I got severely addicted by hanging around the vineyard, especially Eddie Peoric. I got severely addicted to the love of God. I didn't even know such things were possible. And he began to talk from the Scriptures from Romans 8. 
And I looked at the scripture and I began to see the teaching. I began to realize these things. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Right? Slaves. Sometimes people treat Christianity like slave. And all. You, you don't... You get to the place where God presses your I want to button. Right? So that you live in fear again. See... Some people live in fear. That's all they live in, right, in their Christianity. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. In other words, makes you aware that you are a son or a daughter. You really are that person. You really are closely connected to the big guy. (laughs) You really have a relationship. He really cares for you. You can talk to him anytime. You can tell him your problems. You can admit when he saw the sin that you did, you can admit it to him and say, yes, I did it. I'm sorry about that. And then you can really receive forgiveness and no condemnation for that. And I don't care how bad the sin was. Some people struggle with things they did years ago and still haven't gotten free. But he with sunsets free is free indeed. And the component that frees you is experiencing the affection of God. Something that I didn't even know was possible for many years. I didn't know that I could feel the affection of God. But when the affection of God came along with the law of God, it was so wonderful because now you say, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. But then you say, with the affection of God, you begin to go, this is what I want to do. We love. Why? Because He first loved us. And love is all about the commandments. Love, if you love people, you're, you're fulfilling almost everything you need to fulfill, Right? But here in these verses are something so critical, so important to understand. I want to read these. Uh, Romans chapter 8. I want to read it again for 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. It's amazing how many people can live in fear and walk with God. I always know they don't have quite a hold of what they should. If they walk in a constant fear of their life, constant fear of this, constant fear of that, maybe even fear of making a mistake with God, and then it disqualifies them for some sort of blessing, a fear that they're not good enough. No, you're not good enough. Let's just settle that already. But you're forgiven, so you don't have to worry about it, right? If I confess my sins, he's faithful and just to what? Forgive my sins. You mean only if I confess for a long, long time? No. The moment you say, I'm sorry, God, it's done. It's already separated. Then why does it cling to me? Because you're attached to it. <laughs> Detach. <laughs> might take a while, especially if you've been sinning in a certain area long enough, right? And there's some funny sins, too. You know, we usually know the big ones, right? But then there's these other sins, habits, things that we have, attitudes that we carry. Actually, fear carried long enough looks innocuous enough, but it causes all kinds of sin. Anxiety and fear cause some of the greatest sins you could ever commit because you're responding to the fear of the world, and you're acting like that. I mean, I think probably in this last go-round with COVID and all this thing that happened, we saw fear manifesting at epic levels <laughs> and people doing crazy things. Things that even look back on you think, why was I, what's the matter with me? Why was I so terrified, right? That's why the world doesn't understand us. We walk to the beat of a different drummer. When you stop being afraid, you stick out like a to the world like a sore thumb. But it's a great thumb for God, right? He likes it, right? When you meet a truly fearless person, it's an unusual thing to meet a truly fearless person. But when you meet one, it's it's an amazing event. And hopefully I'm looking at a lot of people 
they're leaving fear and learning to live in love, right? Fear is not bravado. It's not, not being able to jump off a bridge or do something incredible, you know, like that. Fear is, is love. I mean, fear is the absence of, love is the absence of fear. You stop being afraid of everything and about your life and people leaving you or not leaving you and the whole thing. All right, so let's go back here. Spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live again in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, 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 Father. That's a special, like, it'll be like Daddy, Daddy. Wow, I like that. You could call that Daddy. That gets a little threatening sometimes for people. That kind of can tell you where you're at, right? Could I just say, he's daddy. And he wears it well. He likes it. By the way, he inspired Paul to write these things. He likes to be called daddy. Father is respectful. Daddy is reality. That's where you're at with God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit. That's a strong word there, testifies with our spirit. You know what that word is? It's the word martyreo. You can, might be able to discern the word martyr from that. Spirit himself testifies. So a martyr gives a strong testimony, right? So this is a strong testimony with our spirit that we are God's children. Oh, some of us didn't have good experiences as children. Our parents didn't model what they should have for us. Some of us now feel like we're lousy parents. When you disrupt the loving father-child, mother-child relationship, sometimes we get ill-equipped to understand even God's love. But I think at our most basic level, we understand even if we didn't get a lot of love from our own parents, we understood what it was supposed to be, right? And how we're supposed to be. It's just amazing that the spirit of God inside of you, if we give him a chance, will testify strongly that you're his kid. The other voice does not want you to know that. The enemy would like you, like, like you could know all kinds of things about God. Satan would be glad for you to know all about all those other things. But he doesn't want you to know this one, that you actually, as a Christian, are God's kid. And he treats his kids very, very well, thank you. <laughs> and as a child, you can treat God very, very, very well. Because no matter what you're going through and what maybe it seems like you've had to endure, what you don't understand and why you're in the situation your life is in. You can always be assured that did not disqualify you from being God's kid. He never left you. He even said, I will never leave you or forsake you. You may be going through a trial, whether it's induced by a spirit of demonic thing or some kind of worldly thing or some horrible person that's in your life, whatever it is, but God is there with you and he'll deliver you and all the way testify that you're his kid and you're qualified to get delivered. Sometimes when I think about the tenderness of God overwhelming everything that resists God, really, that's what the tenderness does. I, I like to think also in terms of marriage and relationships. And, you know, Song of Songs, which is really a weird book in my mind, but anyway, it's a strange thing, strange, weird book, but it's pretty interesting. It's a romantic thing, but a romantic thing I don't understand all the way through. But there's some interesting verses in here, and some of them are just a revelation of just this picture of God loving his people, even in a sense of, of like a, a husband should love a wife or a wife or her husband, right? So this is the male speaking, but I want you to just think about this because this 
picture. I was reading this the other day and I thought, this is God. This is what God says. This is what God thinks. You've stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. We're called the bride of Christ. You know what the true thing is? God's vulnerable to us. Just like your child might just steal your heart, you know. When I look at babies, they steal my heart. Can you imagine? This is the way he thinks of us. You've stolen my heart, Fred. <laughs> Doesn't sound right, does it? <laughs> George. <laughs> but it's true. It got my heart. It got my heart. That's the essence of your relationship with God. You got my heart. You got my attention. You got me. That's God saying that to us. You've stolen my heart. You've taken me captive. I'm, I'm enthralled by you. One glance of your eyes with one jewel of your necklace, he says. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. Amazing. One glance. One prayer. One attention to God, and you got him. Why is it that we think that we have to spend all this time fasting and praying and laboring? I just got to say something to him. Like one glance his way, and I have him. Could God be that and transfer with us that much in love with us? I think if he sent Jesus into the world, his only son, how about your only son, your beloved son, to die on a cross for people because you love them so much, I think that's enough. And then you proved that you were God by raising him from the dead. And then you said, look, I know you killed my son, but if you'll just receive his sacrifice for you and receive him into your heart, everything's forgiven. And more than that, I want to bless you. I want to give you a great life. I want to watch over you. Now you feel the quiet in the room? That's the Holy Spirit bearing witness of the things that I'm saying. Because the things that I'm saying are the very, very best news anyone could ever hear. And sometimes even in Christianity and church circles, and even in our walk with God as we read through the Bible and we see what God would like us to be like, sometimes we fall so short and feel so short of it, right? That's why Paul had to write in big black letters in Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you look on Roman numeral 2, it says, keys to ten uh, tenderness. So one of the keys to being a tender person and walking with a tender God is just learning to be a good receiver of his presence. It's so hard sometimes to say that, receive his presence. For newer people, maybe people that are unacquainted with the ways of the Spirit, when you got saved, something happened and transformed you on the inside. You became a spiritual person. But you also became a spiritual person able to receive love from God and feel and identify with love and the ability to receive truth. And you've been given the ability to worship. One of the reasons why we worship is that it connects us with love, right? 
when we worship, it connects us with God. It, it goes right past your brain, which is really helpful at times, right? Right past the guilt, right? Right past the sluggishness, and right down into that inmost place. And you can feel affection, right? So worship is just such a key, easy thing, as is prayer. Sometimes in our prayer life, though, we don't go into prayer like we're loved and beloved, right? But we go in, sorry, God, I did it again, blah, blah, blah. And if you could just spare a moment, could you please give me my job back? And also, man, I'm not feeling good in my marriage. You know, if you could just remember, just a little bit, give you just a little grace today, I'd really appreciate it, right? Well, I never pray like that anymore. I just pray for everything. You know, I, I pray for everything you can imagine, knowing that I'm heard, right? And I think it gives me, being the entrepreneur that I am, you know, I think, gosh, if he's listening and he's like my dad, and I had a good dad, which really helped a lot. I think sometimes we have some barriers there if our dad wasn't that great. Sometimes they're supposed to model for us a little bit God, but they never fully do, right, no matter where they're at. But I had a great one. So prayer for me, knowing that I could access, man, I, was, I pray over everything. I, you know, I'm so ridiculous, I pray over golf scores. And I don't know why God doesn't answer that one better, but it's just. But I'm okay with it. I keep on seeking. I keep on knocking. I keep on asking. Right. Another key to tenderness is thankfulness. Oh man, learn to say thank you, God, about your life is so incredibly powerful for your heart. And fellowship, fellowship with other people, fellowship with other God bringers. And boy, it really gets good if all those people actually believe God loves them too. You know why? Because we, we love. Why? Because He first loved us. So then you become a good lover of other people when you're in touch with what God loving you. You start becoming generous and kind and you take your eyes off yourself because you can't help it. The mercy of God's pouring through you and you just have to give mercy to somebody else. That's why some of the worst sinners... Before they came to Christ, one of the, you know, some of the baddest people, which we have a fair representation of in this room today. <laughs> we know about each other, right? <laughs> some of them make the greatest believers in the world because they know how far they've come, right? And how bad they were. And they got in. So they're really thankful. They're also aware of how bad their sins were and where it was taking them and where they were going to end up without this. God loving them and transforming them, which brings us to number three. We're being transformed from glory to glory. Isn't that amazing? So I've given a lot of thought, you know, I used to give a lot of thought to exactly what does that mean, transferred from, you know, tr transformed from glory to glory, right? So I thought everything from signs and wonders and miracles and began to move mountains and da da da, you know, you know, that kind of thing, you know, becoming God's man of faith in the hour. Right to to uh, other things that like that are probably a little more important. Right, but let's read these verses. Second Corinthians three seven to eighteen. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters and stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? So he's talking about the law that was written that tells us what God likes and his preferences and who he is, right? 
But the ministry of the Spirit, meaning the Spirit that comes and lives inside of every believer when they get saved, when they come to know God, is even more glorious because then what happens is we intuitively begin to understand what God likes and what He doesn't. It becomes a relational matter. And then every time we read the Word, we go, oh, there He is again. Okay, that's what you like about that thing. So people that have had this experience with the presence of God, they, they love the Bible because on every page they see His glory. On every page they see His love, right? If the ministry that brought condemnation, he's talking about the law that was written, that God told us what he liked, and, that the, and if we didn't obey, that it would be death to us, was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? In other words, that brings a relationship with Jesus Christ, that when we fail, we can confess our sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And that, that also that ministry of this love I'm talking about keeps moving us more and more to look like Jesus. If that's what he's talking about. How much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? So in the law, God said, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. But in the ministry that brings righteousness, here he's equipping us to actually fulfill that law and to be that kind of person and then showing us even the nuances that even deeper and deeper and deeper beyond the Ten Commandments into motives and heart and, and love and compassion, right? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, that is the law, how much greater is the glory that, of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Now, I don't mean obnoxious bold. I just mean if you've got this beat in your heart, if you know this thing, really right down to this simple thing. I'm a son of God. I don't care what's happened to me. I don't care how I failed. I don't care how I messed up. Listen, my dad's God. <laughs> I don't know. I love that whole thought. You know, even maybe children, you've seen that where they're confident of their dad and their mom, right? There's something about them that's different that gives them a head start. They're, they're confident. I know, I know my parents love me. I, you know, and there's a boldness and a confidence that goes into life, Right? But even if your parents weren't that, look what you got. The Spirit does the very thing that maybe your parents couldn't instill, and they could only instill a little bit compared to God in you, the hope of glory, yakking at you, talking to you, encouraging you, telling you're going to be okay, comforting you. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. Because you go into this place with God, you know, and then you have this funny thing on his face, right, from literally being the presence of God, and it would just melt away. But their minds were made dull, for this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever one, anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hallelujah! Right? Wow! There's freedom. Freedom to make choices, yes or no for God, but freedom, most of all, to make good choices. Because every time we make a good choice, it comes out great for us. Our life continues to go and build into something, right? The impossible suddenly becomes possible. Nothing's impossible anymore. Wow. Everything's within the reach of our prayer because we know on the other end somebody is listening to everything we have to say with intense earnestness. The earnestness of a father 
a loving father with our kids. That's what's on the other line, the other, other side. And we all with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed in His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So we are being transformed. And that's why I like this 2 Corinthians 3, 12. He says, therefore, we are very bold. (laughs) For a while, I didn't even recognize the church because we were not so bold. But then we got our wheels a little bit. Wait a minute. Okay, this COVID stuff isn't so great, but hey, wait a minute. This is a little too far. This spirit of fear, I'm sorry, I just can't march to that stupid drummer because it leads me the wrong direction. Every time I'm terrified and full of fear, I make really bad decisions. I've been down that road. I'm not going down that road this time. And the funny thing is, during the COVID thing, it was amazing. You hear the sermons and everything, and the news is looking in on these <laughs> church services, and they're making these guys look like the biggest idiots around, right? For you know, Look at this guy, you know. But he was walking according to the truth. He was not afraid. He wasn't freaking out like everybody else. Pardon me if I don't freak out like everybody else. I'm not supposed to do that. I don't do that. And just because... Something out there that looks ominous and stuff, I'll respect, but I won't bow. Right? You know, the worst bowing is in here. I won't bow. I won't be made a coward. I will not walk in constant fear, because fear attracts demons. (laughs) And I know that from my past. So, And I do not like demons. Thank you very much. Right? So what we need to do is learn to live from this love that God gives us. Now I want to just read a couple of passages and just to illustrate that a little bit further and then we'll finish today, all right? Mark chapter 4, verses 39 to 40 here. So Jesus is asleep in this boat, right? And a huge storm comes up. It's very interesting, this story. And uh, the waves are coming over the boat, and the, the <laughs> disciples are freaking out. In the beginning, I think they thought, well, maybe we shouldn't wake him up quite yet. He's pretty tired. But then it gets worse and worse. And they didn't expect him to do anything about it. I think they just wanted to wake him up so he could drown while he was awake. <laughs> I, I think that's probably what was going on here, right? <laughs> you know, well, wake up. At least we could drown together. I mean, you know, I mean, aren't you a little bit worried? And I mean, as if, like, what are they going to do anyway about this, right? They certainly didn't expect him to do what he did, right? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still, or shut up. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you still are you, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? What a remarkable thing. I mean, what would you have done? That question, why? Are you so afraid? How many times have you been through a hard time? How many times have you been in fearful circumstances? How many times did you get to the other side? How many times is it going to take for me to deliver you and get to the place where when you go through a storm, you're not freaking out? As a matter of fact, what I'd really like you to learn is tell the thing to shut up. That would please me even more. Right? And so disciples began to learn the school of shut up. Shut up. 
sometimes it just makes me feel good to say shut up to my circumstances. Right? Just, I could add some expletives to it, but I don't. So I want to stay on the right side of God, right? So then they're in this situation, just a few chapters later. And all these people are around. They need to be fed. <laughs> you know, they only have a couple of loaves, and they're out there, and they're all feeling sorry for them. These people are going to faint on the way home and all that, right? And Jesus says, here's his answer. Uh, you give them something to eat. God, there's a pandemic. It's everywhere. You give them something to eat. What? You mean the vaccine? No. You give them something to eat. You show them emotionally, mentally, pray for them when they're sick, whatever it is. You give them something to eat. That's what the right response to the crises we're facing. I'm an ambassador. Yes. But I'm also a son and daughter. I know the big guy. <laughs> I can pray and ask him for stuff. Ask for this stuff to go away. How can you pray for him to ask it to go away if you're panicking yourself, freaking out under every little, hiding under every rock and running away, right? That's why it was not so much how you agreed with policy or not. It's, it's not that that God was after during this pandemic and still is. It's the attitude. I don't want my people cowering and afraid of everything, their own shadow. I don't want them to be afraid of everything that comes across the news. Everybody's trying to project on them. I want them to walk according to my beat, the beat of a different drummer, not this other thing. Fear is always going to be in the world, and it's magnifying with every year that goes by. What's the next thing you're going to be that you're going to be pigeonholed into or tried to say is God and isn't it, right? The enemy just never has enough of that. He'll go for everything until he possesses you completely, right? So here we are. Thousands of people all over, and he says, you give them something to eat. That would take more than a half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Oh, my gosh. How many loaves you got? Oh, I've got a five, and I've got a couple of fish here, you know. I don't know how long it took them to count all that, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so, so there they do, right? And uh, so you know the story. What happened? He multiplies. They start giving the little that they have, and God starts multiplying it, right? God starts multiplying it. And it's the most amazing miracle, which is actually a picture of us. You know, this is what I'm coming to grips with. There's never enough money for the homeless. That's why everybody's so afraid of it. Do you think we really have enough money for this in the natural? I don't know. People fight about it. Oh, if we just give more, da da da, da. I just think maybe some multiplication is going to have to happen. So if we start feeding and taking care of people, then actually God will give more. If we start multiplying the loaves to the homeless, God's going to give us more. So that's a nice thing to say. I could even put it in a form of a poem, maybe. But the reality of people needing vast sums of money for their rent, and all this money is intimidating, until you realize, wait a minute, that's my job. You give them something to eat. What? I only got a few loaves. What? 
How am I going to? Well, have you seen housing prices around here, God? They're really expensive. This is Southern California, Lord. This isn't Botswana. What? We're all there, aren't we? Just where these disciples were. You give them something to eat. That's our calling, by the way, guys. Not the government. If the government wants to help us, fine. But the ones on the front line are us. You know why? Because you can't just feed a person's body without feeding their soul. They need more than bread. So we'll give them the bread and Jesus at the same time. Then they'll get well. Then they'll start moving out of their addictions. That's the great chasm we face. People just want to throw all this money at them and they live it on the streets and do everything they can, even help them get more drugs, which is insane. We know that. But they don't know what to do. We know what to do, right? Thing is, we have to go past the few loaves that we have and say, okay, God, you multiply it. Now, I want to just say, I'm about a third through this, because I have been watching as we've stepped deeper and deeper, placing, buying, leasing homes, leasing apartments. Oh, it takes your breath away. But God keeps supplying. He keeps supplying. <laughs> we take this step, keep supplying. Do it again, keep supplying. So I'm beginning to realize I'm about to be up to my eyeballs in housing the homeless with the resources that God gives, because every time we take a step out, He gives me more resources. He keeps adding, multiplying, He keeps multiplying the loaves. Well, that, that loaves thing, that's for back then, not now. No, it's for now. Because the only way that this homeless thing is going to be solved is people need to deal with the inside as well as the outside. So when we get the outside, we need to go for the inside. And we do both. We're better at the inside right now than we are the outside, but we're going to get really good at both. And that's going to cause we're going to be generous. And that generosity is going to reach astounding numbers. But you know what? What's the scripture say about that? Give and what? So you're going to get wealthy off of this. Yeah. We're going to do really well, thank you. Just sow to the weak. See what God does. It's his great secret. He gives the bread to the disciples, and what's happening? All of a sudden, this multiplication starts happening. The loaves start multiplying out. You start giving away. It's happening right now to us. We're beginning to see the multiplication happen. We've stepped into territory by faith that I never dreamed in a million years I'd ever touch or get involved with. Just the mental illness component and the drug part of it is enough to freak you out. But God's greater than all that. If anybody should be solving this crisis, it should be us. And if the government wants to help a little bit, I'm saying, fine, thanks, I appreciate that. But you can't run it. We just have to run it our own way. Because these people got to get out of this situation. And if we run it like you run it, they're just going to go right back to where they were. And we're just going to have this endless cycle of spending money, people dying, blah, 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 right? So I want to look at Matthew chapter 14. I'm about to close here. I just thank you, God, for the privilege of being in your house and walking with your people and talking to people that understand these things. Lord, it's just so great, Lord. And I want to thank you that you are transforming us from glory to glory. <laughs> I'll tell you what, during all this, I haven't felt very glorious, but I'm beginning to get the hang of it. I'm beginning to feel the glory. Because we've come so far. Many of you, from your jobs and your work, you've come so far. 
You thought that it was the end and it was just the beginning. You thought you had no opportunity. Your, God, your livelihood was going to be taken away. And yet God made a way for you anyway. He made a way for you. He multiplied. This is not the time of loss. This is the time of multiplication. You have to have eyes to see it. You have to literally walk to the beat of a different drummer. But that's what you get when you live from God's loving heart. Because behind all the love is what any parent would do. The most amazing provision and grace on people. Healing their bodies. Taking care of their finances. Giving them great jobs. That's what God does. It's amazing. I love Him so much for that. It's just that sometimes the bad news hides the good news for a while. And he loves to do that, by the way. Test you a little bit. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. <laughs> I sometimes I put myself in that thing. I'm thinking, well, man, I mean, uh, like he's calming that storm, right? And then like he just takes a stroll out on the lake, right? <laughs> just walking along. I mean, what do you do with that? I mean, okay, we say, oh, yeah, we read that in the Bible. We know it says we're this high. But seeing a guy walk on the lake, I mean, come on. And when you're not even sure who exactly this character is who's causing all this sacrifice and doing these miracles, he's freaking everybody out. Nobody likes him, though, especially the leaders that you've known for your whole life, the religious establishment. And there this guy's coming along, and every time you turn around, something weird's going on. And they hate him all the more, but then it's even more wonderful. Now he's walking on the water, right? <laughs> Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified, which is what I would have been. It's a ghost, they said. <laughs> I love these guys so much. We're just like them, man. We're just like them. Oh, we're, well, we would never put it that way. But we get terrified over everything, right? And this is, a, this is just too crazy, right? I mean, sometimes we get terrified over uh, spiritual phenomena that happen. You know, could it be that God might be a little weird sometimes? Could it be that He's not like you? And if something weird happens in church, could it be that He could do that if He wants to? Could it be? Do you actually want the church to look like you or to God? Oh, I want it to be like God. Oh, you do, do you? Well, it's going to be weird too. too. It isn't always going to look like normal stuff, like nice suburban church thing. It Maybe in Africa, okay, let's but not here. No. He can wreck anything. He can make anything cause go crazy, right? He just walks on water. He does stuff. He still does it. Thank you, God. He, if he's Jesus, he's still going to do stuff, and it's going to threaten you and make you crazy. It's going to freak you out, right? Shortly before dawn, Jesus went to, out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come. Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus. But when he was, saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? You of little faith. I think he's doing pretty darn good myself. I mean, at least he got out of the boat. The other guys are just hanging. Man, let me tell you what. And Jesus calls that little faith. Holy. Okay. If you can extrapolate some of this and start applying it to your own life, you can see we're all headed. We're in big trouble in a good way, right? To house a homeless, you have to walk on water. That's why it hasn't been solved yet. That's why we have the problem we have. And drug addiction, all the rest of it. Somebody's got to start walking on water. Guess who gets elected? Us, Right? And they said, truly, this is the Son of God, right? Mark 8, 14 to 21. 
And this is where it gets kind of serious again, because uh, Jesus intended for these manifestations to actually make an impression on them so that they would be believing, right? Disciples had forgotten to bring bread. This is Mark 8, 14, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. <laughs> and they go, they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we didn't bring any bread. Now, he had just multiplied a whole bunch of bread, thousands of people. They said, that's because we we blew it. We didn't bring any bread. That's why he's saying this. I know he's he's symbolic. He's he's mad at us. I don't know how they got that, but they did. I don't know how I draw some of my conclusions either, right? Where their discussion, he just asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes? but fail to see in ears, but fail to hear. And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Seven. Do you still not get it? Do you get it? So he meant for that miracle that happened in their life to pay forward. Every miracle, everything you've been through, including this present time with COVID and all the rest of it, he means it to be paid forward. In other words, it's not like, oh, glad we got rid of that nasty memory, that wretched virus is finally gone. No, something else is going to take its place. Guess what? You should have learned to walk on the water during this time. You learn to get through these things so you can go to the next thing and swim, do well, right? so important for our time. We've been in training the whole time. We've been multiplying food in the dark space. But we have to do it in other spaces too. There's a time now. Don't you get it? I'm not talking to you about bread. I can multiply that. I can take care of you just like that. I'm talking to you about something deeper, something more deadly. This sin, this leaven, this religious teaching that will sell you down the river. I don't want you to do that. I can take care of this in a heartbeat, but I can't always get your heart. I want you to know this is the right way to live, right? Don't you still understand? Matthew 17, 19 to 21, something similar. He wants them to live from the right heart. He wants them to live out of confidence. 17, I love these verses so much. The disciples came to Jesus in private. Why couldn't we drive that demon out? He said, because you have so little faith. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Really? Really? Nothing will be impossible for me. Well, listen, the thing is, about that passage and other ones like it, they just seem so incredibly opposite, uh, so incredibly impossible. One thing I'm learning about this is that it's like David and Goliath. So where we have to go with individually and corporately is we got to slay our lions and our bears, which is significant, then Goliath, right? So when you learn in your own world how to believe God for a miracle and you keep going, you get bigger and bigger. More faith grows, grows, grows. Can you imagine the entire church, entire church of Jesus Christ growing from this horrible experience of COVID and all the rest, coming out on top. You know, we're buff. We're getting stronger. It may not look like it. We're stronger. We're much stronger than we were a couple of years ago. The whole body of Christ is that way. We learned something. We're beginning to exercise our muscles a little bit, right? So it's 
We're transformed from glory to glory. We are free. We're free from sin. We're free to live, to love. We're free to be ourselves. We're free to risk. We're free not to be afraid. We're free to be fully alive. We're free to worship. We are free because we live from God's heart. And it makes all the difference in our everyday life. Not only in the sense of not being terrified and anxious all the time, but also in the sense of how we address our problems, how we walk through them, and how we see the miraculous hand of God intervene. Right now you may be on the part of God where you're receiving more than you're giving. But if you received a miracle of provision, God expects for you to also learn to walk in miracles yourself and to give them away to others, right? That's the parable of the multiplication of the loaves. Didn't you get it? The loaves aren't the issue. You got me in the boat, right? The loaves aren't the issue today. We have him in our boat. And I tell you, God's strengthening us, and this whole season we've been is nothing but lifting weights for the next battle and for the next success. I don't want to just fight battles to fight battles. I want to win. I don't want to house the homeless or any other challenge we have in our culture and just suffer and get beat up by it. No, I want to keep on doing it. And as I give, God gives resource. I learn how to do it. I get more and more resource, and then I go on to the next mountain and the next one and the next one. I realize I'm never going to arrive. I'm just going to keep on being the salt of the earth. That's what I'm going to be. And I cannot absolutely ever outgive God. For you that have been in a very, very difficult space financially and you're just coming now, the best thing you could do is learn to walk with Jesus Christ, learn to multiply bread. And you only do that by giving what you have away. You learn to walk with God in your finances. Give something away, whether it's yourself, your heart, counsel, hanging out with people, giving your money, whatever it is. But learn to be a giver and learn to see God multiply it back. That's where we're all headed. And all that was happened to the church and all that's involved is one big weightlifting exercise. And we're getting buffed through it. <laughs> we're getting stronger, right? Because we have to move some tonnage around. We've had to move and rearrange our lives around. But it's nothing but glory and grace. That's what's happening to us. Good measure. Press down. Shaking together, right? Running over. That's my favorite passage. I like that. Good measure. Press down. Yeah, running over. Yeah. All right, let's all stand. Thank you, Lord. So, Lord, we just pray you'd help us to live from your heart. I'd like the ministry team to come up and um, the musicians and... Um, one of the reasons why we do a ministry team is not because we have a tradition of doing a ministry team, not because there's weird people who are actually willing to pray for you, you know, not because we made it a tradition somewhere along the way, but because actually when you come forward and people pray for you, you get well. That's the way God designed the whole body of Christ. Well, they don't look like faith healers. I'm not sure exactly what a faith healer is supposed to look like, but you know, we have our like descriptions. <laughs> It's like the ordinary people. Oh, yeah, but that's the whole thing. Who's the ones that gave away the bread? Right? The disciples. Why? Because he want to tell us miracles happen through ordinary folks that have an extraordinary God on the inside of them. That's why we always have people up here praying, right? 
If you want to take advantage of it, come. If we have people that would like to help us pray, that'd be great. If you have a need that you have in your life, why don't you come to the front, okay? Uh, sometime during this time. Or somebody next to you, maybe ask them to pray for you. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would just help us, Lord, right now <clears throat> to live from your loving heart. And I pray, God, you would give us understanding, but you would also rewire us on the inside to have compassion on the world around us. We thank you for your great compassion for us. And I pray even in this time, you just raise your hand if you have this need. If you're in need of a job, raise your right hand if you're in need of a job. Just keep your hand up if you need a job. Lord, for everyone in this room that needs a job, I pray there would be a breakthrough this week. Who needs a husband? Raise your hand. For everyone that needs a husband, I pray. <laughs> That's a little bit personal, but anyway. Whoever needs a husband, in the name of Jesus, I pray, God, that person would start coming. Who needs a wife? Whoever needs a wife, I pray that person would start coming. I pray they would actually appear here in the next several weeks. What? You're not supposed to pray like that. This relational thing is supposed to take months and years. After all, I've been waiting for years. I don't think it's supposed to come. Why couldn't it come next week for heaven's sake? Why not? Lord, bring these people. Bring marriage partners. God, heal stuff that's been stuck for so long. I pray you'd heal this day. Knees and ankles and necks and problems, Lord, I pray it would lift in Jesus' name. Allergies, severe allergies. Oh, I'm supposed to have that because my dad had it, my grandmother had it. No, you're not supposed to have anything. Lord, in the name of Jesus, make us your body. Help us be sensitive to one another. Help us, give us your counsel for one another. I pray we'd be alive, full of energy and full of the life of God. Lord, help us to love this world with your heart. Lord, it's every day, in Jesus' name. Help our businesses. Who needs a business to do well? better than it's doing right now. In the name of Jesus, I just pray a wind would blow over every business. You might want to get your hand up about this one. I never pray like to hear myself pray. I always pray expecting God to do something. So Lord, every business represented here, even you that are newer and can't figure out what in the world this church is all about, it's freaking you out. But could you take a chance, you business person that's here, why don't you raise your hand just about this high just ask to take a chance because you have nothing to lose and then you can go out the door real fast. In the name of Jesus, I pray, God, for all these businesses. I just pray suddenly a wind would be behind them. You would cause the mighty wind of God to blow on our businesses. I pray we'd be insanely successful. I pray we would even know how it's happening. I pray you'd multiply the fishes and the loaves. And as we give and sow, I pray you'd just put more on our head. More, Lord, not less. More, not less. For those of us that have been sick a long time with some ailment, I pray, God, this would be the day that you would just ring down the healing. But from these people praying or just right in your seat, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke asthma and, 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 and all breathing issues with allergies. I rebuke, Lord, the constant pain in somebody's back here today. I ask that you would just lift it off of them. I pray, God, you would be concerned about our children that are on drugs or addicted to something. I pray you'd break the power of that. I pray sovereignly you'd bring a divine appointment. I pray, God, you would open the heavens over this room and over this place today. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. God bless you all.